Good evening. I'm very uh, thankful for the opportunity to come here again. It's been a couple years since I've been here. I was coming a couple times a year for a few years, and now I've been uh, not allowed to come for a couple of years by some higher arrangement. <laughs> but um, I feel blessed to be here again at the Bhakti shop. And um, in the past, we have spent our time here together mostly in philosophical uh, discourse and uh, sparingly also participated in Harikirtan. And tonight we're going to try to balance that out a little bit as uh, I'm sure you're aware from the propaganda for the and promotion for the program. So, uh, as it was mentioned by Lisa Lilamai, my good friend and uh, guru bai, Agni De Das, who's uh, quite a celebrated kirtanier around the, uh, the globe for the last uh, 40 years or so, will lead us in, in kirtan. And another a good friend of mine for about 40 years also, Pushpadantu has come, he'll play this kol or murdanga. The instruments we use are very simple. The coal, Murganga, the coal is, is made out of clay and leather from cows that have died naturally. It's a simple kind of uh, folk instrument. And, of course, the hand symbols, the kartals. And my student, Gurnishtu, will, will accompany us with the harmonium, which is a German instrument, but it has been incorporated into uh, Indian folk music for a long, long time now. Um, and it's more of Germany going east than it is India going west, as it uh, it uh, works very well um, with the uh, the uh, the feeling and uh, the harmonium is a is a good name, <laughs> um, for example, and the kind of folk uh, style, if you will, that Kirtan is typically uh, and I should say uh, classically. Uh, performed in a very uh, participatory type of music that invites the audience to partake, and um, and the instruments are important, of course, but they're simple instruments. And uh, the big instrument here that we're to play this evening is the heart. So it's not a lip exercise or an ear exercise or a musical exercise, kirtan, as it is a a, um, a heart exercise. And as such, it is, kirtan, a limb, if you will, of the body of what is called bhakti. And we're at the bhakti shop, so we should say a few words about bhakti. Let me do that by way of reading something that I brought this evening for just a a moment. And this is a short... um, kind of cross-cultural spiritual appreciation written by a Christian um, theologian, John Moffat, and it describes the the personality, the deity of Kirtan, if you will, uh, for our particular lineage, Sri Chaitanya. I want to say a few words about him, but let me begin by uh, honoring him in this way, by reading what uh, John Moffat said, it's very nice, describes him. 
If, he says, I were to choose one man in Indian religious history who best represents the pure spirit of devotional self-giving, I would choose the Vaishnavite saint Sri Chaitanya. Of all the saints in recorded history, East and West, he seems to me the supreme example of a soul carried away on a tide of ecstatic love of God. Through, though, excuse me, literally worshipped by thousands, as Krishna himself, he led a simple and even austere life. His life in the holy town of Puri is the story of a man in a state of almost continuous spiritual intoxication, illuminating discourses, deep contemplation, moods of loving communion with God were daily occurrences. Nice introduction. And um, Sri Chaitanya appeared at a time in India that um, that in many respects, theologically speaking, constituted a kind of spiritual revolution. There was, at the time, a more or less monopoly on spirituality where and it was taught by the Advaitins that, uh, and, and, and the Brahmins associated with them that uh, in order to attain communion with the Godhead, with the Absolute, one would have to take birth as a Brahmin in the priestly class and in that life then become a, a renunciate, a sannyasin, and travel barefoot, live in the forest, the Himalayas, and so on and so forth, and be a contemplative. And this seemed to keep the God at a, at a, at a greater distance than the human heart felt that, uh, that the Godhead should be, where many of us feel the Godhead dwells in our hearts. And so there was a kind of a, a revolution, a bhakti revolution, and uh, at the time, a number of people were involved. Uh, Guru Nanak of the Sikhs, with his emphasis on Satnam, eternal name, and in his book, the Guru Granth, I think it's called, and the names of Ram and Krishna repeatedly glorified, and the virtues of chanting them, and so on and so forth. Kabir, you may be familiar with the poet and mystic Kabir also, his advocacy of Kirtan. There, Tukaram, another one. But... Um, Sri Chaitanya was rather central um, to this type of revolution, uh, if you will. And around him and from him uh, came not only the, the, the kirtan, but a, a real uh, kind of a nam dharma, a whole theology and philosophy around, centered around kirtan and the efficacy of the logos or the name. So with logos, of course, the name is... Logos means name, but it also means logic. So there's some underlying math, if you will, to the uh, to the beauty of and the the aesthetic aesthetic experience of chanting the name of God. And so uh, he spawned uh, a number without writing himself through the hands of his students a great, I should say, body of literature that um, that. Uh, speaks to us about the efficacy of kirtan and the nature of bhakti 
So it's an interesting subject because kirtan is popular. Here we are at the bhakti shop. It's a popular word and idea. And uh, I imagine there are many different ideas of what both of those words, kirtan and, and bhakti, mean. And they could mean different things to different people. That's fine. But I would like to speak a little bit about what they mean traditionally in our lineage before we embark upon kirtan with, with the hopes that that will help us through a conceptual orientation to proceed in such a way that we may draw the most from the non, or I should say trans-rational exercise of kirtan. We can reason about kirtan and other spiritual practices, the need to do them and so forth, and about the limits of reason itself in terms of its being a vehicle by which we could arrive at some real firm ground to stand on and dance on, for that matter. Reason does not have much scope, I would say, for affording us even firm ground to stand on, what to speak then, to uh, to dance on. Hmm? But it certainly has its place. So to reason about the limits of reason and with all of our reason and our physical, sensual self as well, to embrace a transrational methodology, if you will, by which we can go beyond the, the limits of reason and a proceed with caution type of lifestyle. Just like we're proceeding a little bit with caution here as, as you listen to me and think, I don't know, maybe, and with your head, you may be listening and, not, and guarding your heart to some extent. And so, of course, part of the exercise here is if if I can be successful in arresting your intellect so that you don't have to be troubled by it and let the uh, feelings of my own heart conveyed as best I can convey them in a logical sequence, arrangement of words and so forth to your heart. That is the task. So, a transrational exercise, kirtan, and it is, as I began, a limb and the principal limb of the body of bhakti. So, what is bhakti? You may be familiar with terms like bhakti, like jnana and um, karma. So, let us speak about bhakti in relation to jnana and karma. Karma is probably the most well-known of those three terms, and it refers to action, and action in relation to the, the um, I want to say to the, um, to matter. Hmm? We have an objective side. I mean, this is kind of what, what, what life's about. What's out there and what's looking at it. Hmm? So, so what, uh, you know, science proceeds, interestingly enough, on the uh, faith, or the belief, I should say, that there is something out there, a physical world. It's not something that can be proved that there is, but meditation and and uh, 
spiritual practice proceeds on the basis of the fact that each of us is a unit of experience, experiencing unit of reality. You follow me? Hmm? Science proceeds on the basis of a belief that we that the experience that we have that there's an external world is real. But you know, idealists have made the argument in the past, and some of them are still around today. That uh, well, for example, the classic, I think it was Bishop Berkeley, um, question that if the tree falls in the forest and no one sees it or hears it, did it really fall? It's an idealistic perspective. Idealism meaning that the subjective realm is the entirety of reality and we project a physical world that doesn't really exist. Now, I don't agree with that entirely. I I don't think that the material world is what it appears to be. We experience it to be sometimes different than what it is. We experience it to be, um, well, it's crude to say, but it's an old saying, a bowl of cherries, but it's really the opposite of that, or the pits, they say, at times. In other words, (laughs) and I don't mean to be negative about the world, but the fact of the matter is that um, the the karmic realm is problematic. Hmm? The karmic realm is, is problematic. So karma's action in relation to the to matter on the part of ourselves, in other words, we, we feel that we have causal efficacy, that we we decide to do something and then our bodies carry it out in relation to a perceived world. And um, it's troublesome because uh, through our senses, the medium of our senses, we contact sense objects, sounds, sights, smells, and so forth, and we identify with them. And really an eye forms around our sense of my. We think it is my country, my house, my car, my this or that forms an eye, as the advertising industry knows very well. There's a Marlboro man, he's probably dead now from cancer, but <laughs> the, this, this woman and that man, you know, everybody has a, a sense of I, I'm saying, that's really derived from a sense of having. But a sense of being that's derived from having is a very vacuous sense of being because we don't have anything, really, that we can keep. Hmm? The deck is constantly changing. If we want to talk about matter and what it is and our bodies are constituted of it, well, it's one thing about it is it's changing all the time. Every atomic particle of our body is different now than it was a minute ago. And after a certain number of years, it's all new. Hmm? So the identity that's based on the body uh, and the, even the DNA is, it, is made of atoms and it's all being replaced constantly. So the identity that we have that's derived from, well, identifying with the body uh, misses a point here that the body is constantly changing its parts, but there's an identity that remains constant throughout that changing, a witness, an observer. Hmm? And so the schools of yoga, Vedanta, they posit that there's a super-subjective world, even beyond the mind, which is quasi-subjective. It's subjective, but it's it's focused on matter. 
on the physical realm. So emotions arise from our identification with the physical world, and we ride up and down on those emotions. And the problem being that the physical is constantly transforming. Hmm? So it's kind of unsettling. Uh, so the karmic realm is, 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 is problematic. Hmm? It's problematic in this sense also, as I was saying. It's problematic because... Hmm? Um, well, because the deck is always changing, for one, if we want a virtuous life, a good life, if we want absolute beauty and absolute good, hmm, to use a platonic sensibility which I think we do. When we look for it in relation to matter, well, there's, it's, it, this is a problem. First of all, it won't be enduring, however good it is. And the nature of the world is such, because it's always under, undergoing transformation, you can't ever really get any firm ground to stand on. I was not long ago, told the story a few times, so it's getting a little longer but uh, ago, but I came into into my bathroom in, in my, at my ashram in, uh, in, in Northern California and there was a spider web and in the web was a fly. So I went to free the fly and along came the spider. So this is material life, you see. Do you understand me? If I was to free the spider, the fly, the spider would have no dinner. If I leave the fly, then... One person's funeral is another person's feast. Hmm? It's a very Darwinian perspective, but uh, we don't end with that. Hmm? That's true about material life. It's a struggle. We push down here, it comes up over there. You know, if, you're, if you're troubled with uh, capitalism, you can go to socialism. Hmm? In socialism, you get the group but you lose your individuality hmm? in an extreme sense. In capitalism, using a political example, you get your individuality, but there's no group because you're in competition with everybody else. Hmm? We want individuality, and we want to be in a group <laughs> where there are other individuals that we get along with, something like that. So these are two ends, for example, of the spectrum. You, know, you have a classical theism. Uh, in Christianity, you have God is divine. The world is profane. And then you've got some forms of Hinduism, which is pantheistic. The world is God. So the world's not profane, but there's kind of no God <laughs> beyond the world either. So these are, again, two ends of the spectrum. So material life, the karmic realm, is very much like this. So karma unto itself, a term. I'm speaking about it in relation to bhakti, so we can get an idea of what bhakti is. Karma is one thing. It's troublesome. It's the work we do that's reactionary. We invest in an illusory world and sense of existence, and um, you know there's a price to pay. There's a there's a reaction for that. Matters like a machine, so you plug into it, and there's something's going to come out. Hmm? It's going to want its satisfaction if we take from it, and if we have identified ourselves with the body, we have to take. That's unavoidable because we feel we have a sense of identity that's in need to be protected, and, and so on and so forth. Hmm? We're looking for enduring life, happy life. Hmm? An enduring life, a knowing life, rather than an 
a life rather than an existence that's here today and gone tomorrow and is insentient, unknowing, as we as I'm speaking about matter, and unhappy, or at least not happy. <laughs> so, sat, chit, ananda. This is being not subject to transformation. I mean, not subject to death, for example. Hmm? Sat, chit, cognizance, knowing, know, knowing, knowing that we be. Hmm? A kind of knowing that in which one feels there's nothing else that one needs to know. Hmm? It's not that you know everything, every detail, but you know so many details are not worth knowing. I know the one thing that's worth knowing. It's me, what I'm made out of. Hmm? I am a unit of being and knowledge, and I have the capacity to love ananda, satchit ananda. And matter is asat, achit, nirananda. So we're weighing in for the moment on the problem of the karmic realm with knowledge. So gyan means knowledge. Karma means action. Gyan means knowledge. Hmm? So the more we weigh in with knowledge in a real essential sense of knowing, hmm, the more our impetus to act is diminished. Because if you think really, really objectively about any overarching argument like capitalist, socialist, just to use one example, hmm? you're going to come up with the reason we pick one or the other is not because it's objectively the right thing. It's a subjective psychological disposition that we have that causes us to reason one way or reason another way. The arguments on either side are equally compelling if you speak to listen to the most learned people on either side of the uh, of the aisle hmm? and so I would just like to take it from the political realm to um, let's say theism and atheism you can listen one way or the other way there, there are really good arguments on either side now I'll say those arguments are stupid on the atheistic side hmm. And they'll say mine are, and we have good reason for saying that, and so forth. But this is the problem with reason. I said earlier, there's a problem with action in relation to things that are, well, here today and gone tomorrow, if they're here at all. I acquire a thing, and it starts to disappear, but my attachment for it doesn't, so it's problematic. You can't keep it, so even if you like it, well, <laughs> it's a real recipe for unhappiness. So this is karma, and jnana means knowledge. Knowledge. So knowledge is, uh, karma is rajasic. You know the term rajas? Like, raja means, it means action, it, it's, uh, it's the pursuit, in one sense, of material improvement, material betterment, moving up the ladder. Hmm? Political realm is all rajasic. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, that's what it is from the Vedic Gita perspective. Knowing, reason, mind is sattvic. Hmm? So the more you weigh in on action 
meaning karma, action in relation to things that don't endure. Hmm? The more you become quiet, and the less active you become, and you come to the conclusion, there is no, I press down here, it will come up here. I press down here, it will come up here. There is no comprehensive solution. There is the spider, there is the web, there is the fly, and as I said, one person's, one woman's feast is, a, is another man's funeral. That is just the nature of the plane of karma. Unfortunately, it's not the only plane or realm of existence. So we can weigh in on it with knowledge. And so the contemplatives ultimately come to the vantage point of pursuing the ultimate good and ultimate beauty beyond, outside of, interacting with sense objects, a life of acquisition. They detach, let go. Hmm? And they go within, without which we go without. It is said, go within or go without. Hmm? Now you've stopped acting, so to speak. Hmm? Now you're meditating. Now you're sitting. And sitting well, because you've reasoned it out and you've applied yourself, let's say, in a spiritual discipline. And so the impetus to act by the weight of knowledge, the impetus to act is, has been destroyed. Hmm? And the impetus to know has been increased because there's something much more knowable uh, and better, if you will, than things. It said the best things in life are not things. Hmm? And we come to know I'm not a thing. I'm not nothing, but I'm not a thing. I'm no thing. I am what, what, <laughs> I am what makes matter matter. Right? Without me, it wouldn't matter. What am I? Goodness. So a whole new avenue of exploration. As I said, while the science is moving on the basis of the belief that there's something out there and what it is, they're trying to figure it out all the time and then say everything is just that and you are too and, and consciousness is only the brain and so on and so forth and can't find it yet but in there but um, meditation on the other hand is, that, is, is proceeding on the basis of the fact not the belief that there's something out there but the fact that I experience our experiences could be wrong but the fact that we experience can't be wrong. That's the only thing we really know. Hmm? So why not explore that is the idea. The experiential side of life. I'm a unit of experience. Experiencing reality is so different from matter. You see, from an evolutionary point of view, evolution, as it's understood today in the world, is something, is a, is a progression, right? Is a, is a um, well, an evolution. <laughs> an evolution wherein different, uh, the species um, evolve in terms of something they already have and it's developed, like motor functions. So in macro evolution, you have the idea of something like aquatics become birds. So they have fins, that's a motor function, and then they have wings, let's say. They're both... I mean, wings are pretty different than fins, but they're both motor functions. So to move from a fin to a, to a wing 
It's not that much of a stretch. Do you follow me? But to move from non-experiential reality to experiential reality and to think that experience and experiencing reality will arise out of a non-experiencing reality is like these things are absolutely different. Do you understand? There's no, they're not like the difference between wings and fins. Hmm? Sometimes spiritual people are accused of being magical in their thinking. But actually, modern science is very magical in its thinking as much as it thinks, as it does in some circles, that out of a brain comes the sense of I and qualitative experiences. It's like saying, I put salt on my meal, which is a mineral. It went into my body. It went up and built neurons in my brain and then started saying, taste me. Hmm? I mean, it, it really is. <laughs> it's like the idea that a, like a, a, a billiard ball at some point might say, ouch, could you put a little chalk on the end of that? Because the same in, ingredients, is what I'm saying, of a, of a pool ball are is what we find in a human uh, brain. Hmm? And to think that consciousness comes out of human brains is to say that it's nowhere else. Hmm? That's not very well thought out in my experience. Hmm? Sentience is not a biological thing. You know, you like it's interesting to think because in, the, in there's a school of uh, largely Christian theologians that advocate something called intelligent design, and they do it in opposition to modern science. Hmm? But they're very much alike in ways that, 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 that worth reflecting on for a moment. In other words, modern science says matter, insentient matter, combines together somehow to become sentient at some point. Wow, that is a great magical trick. And they're trying to figure out exactly how to do that. Intelligent design says, says no, no. God puts the same insentient parts together. So they're both saying, out of insentient matter comes sentience. Hmm? Just somebody different doing the puzzle, something like that. Hmm? But in Vedanta, in yoga, it said life is not biological. Hmm? Life is consciousness. Hmm? Consciousness is what... It's not, do I have a soul? Hmm? You don't ask, do I have consciousness? Nobody asks that. That's obvious. It's just a question of defining the consciousness. What is it? It's you, and it's sought. It's jit, ananda, a unit of that. So coming to know that through contemplation, when we weigh in with real knowledge, if you will, as I'm speaking about it, the impetus to act in relation to matter is, is diminished. And we find, we're searching for a greater solution in terms of arriving at the ultimate good and beauty that we realize cannot be had by however we manipulate matter, however we could tweak it and turn it and twist it and so forth, nothing as beautiful as what I am could come out of it. So I'm from another soil altogether. Hmm? Again, matter wouldn't even matter. We couldn't even do science if it weren't for, for, for us. Consciousness. Consciousness is at the bottom of everything. It's very difficult to make it some ephemeral thing we don't need to talk about. We can't talk about it without it. We can't dismiss it without it. 
Hmm? You understand? Hmm? Oh, it's fundamental is the idea. Hmm? And we all are made up of such. So beyond our human differences, animal differences, plant differences, aquatic differences, we have something very much in common. Hmm? So we can move away from the material distant differences and all the movement that that involves, hmm? troublesome as, an often, as it often is, and sit peacefully. This is the result of jnana. Now we come to bhakti. Hmm? Because notice one thing. When we came to jnana, real knowledge, we stopped acting for the most part. Hmm? But now to know at the cost of acting starts to bring knowing into question its value. Hmm? Yes, I was acting in a way that wasn't productive, but if my knowing results in no action, I mean, only the value of knowing is really only how much it informs action by which we can become happy. Just to know is, well, okay. Hmm? But to do. So if knowing, if the knowing is, the, is, is at the cost of doing, we might think, well, I don't know, maybe I'll do wrongly. Hmm? I tried to love and it was unsuccessful because, well, you know, my Prince Charming turned into a couch potato or whatever it might be. Um, But one might think reasonably, rather I tried to love and had some semblance of an experience of it than not at all. Hmm? So who wants to meditate? Hmm? (laughs) So there's a... That's not the best argument, but it's serious. That's, that's some reasoning to it. Hmm? That if knowing is at the cost of doing. Hmm? But now we're talking about why, why, would, why would we think maybe that knowing was at the cost of doing? Because love is something that we do. Hmm? It's what we live for. Hmm? We're living to love. Hmm? So, properly understood, we, now we come to bhakti. Bhakti means, bhakti from the root, Sanskrit root, bhaj means to share, to give and to take. So it's about loving. Hmm? Right? Loving is about giving, and in the context of giving, there is a getting that's not pursued, but hmm, is, 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 is the giving, as we say, is, is the getting. Hmm? So in, in love, there is knowing, and there is doing also. So we move from the karmic realm to a peaceful sense of we're all one. Let's just sit quietly. Om forever. We can just om out. And, and it's, it's blissful knowing that there's nothing to worry about. Hmm? There's nothing to do either. I mean, it's a crude way of speaking about it. But, uh, but to live peacefully, silently, hmm? knowing we're all consciousness, you're the same as me. Hmm? Again, in this type of pursuit, transcendental pursuit, the scope for loving is limited. We can love to be, but it would be more profound to be in order to love. Love to exist is one thing. To exist to love, that is another thing. That is a big idea. Hmm? To love to exist in a wise way hmm, by transcending death and feeling, coming into a sense of unity with all beings and peacefully live in undifferentiated relief from the struggle 
for material existence is a kind of bliss, and in that there's no taking. So there's no taking inside of loving, but not taking is not the full face of loving either, hardly. Hmm? Karmic realm means to take, to exploit. Gyan means I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Hmm? But bhakti, now this is, a, this, is, this is a further development, is the idea. In, in bhakti, there's doing. In love, there's doing. And there's also knowing. Hmm? And thus, there's a possibility of movement within transcendence. Some philosophers reason, and reason well, that if you have no desire, no want, no need, if you're full, then there's no reason to move. We move because, well, we have a desire. We went to sit, but, oh, the bell rang, or I just remembered that, and I have desires. They keep the mind going round and round and round and round, so it's hard to sit. So if you're full, you sat well, hmm? you have no desire, then there's no reason to move. Hmm? But love in its full face is actually a kind of movement. Hmm? This is a movement out of fullness. Sometimes when you're full, you just go, I'm full. Hmm? And I celebrate and dance. I don't need anything other than to celebrate how full I am. Hmm? Hmm? This is, this is where kirtan comes. This is, this is where it goes. Hmm? Where it comes from, Goloker Premodhan Harinam Sankirtan. It comes from there. Where every, a plane, a realm, where walking, Shriya Kanta Kanta Parama Purusha Kalpataravo, Tumabhumis Chintamani Ganamayi Toyamamritam. There, all the walking is dancing, all the talking, is singing. And someone reasoned, what must be the dancing then? And what must be the singing there? Hmm? There the God it is celebrating himself. You see, in Brahman, which we can arrive at by spiritual knowing, we arrive at a sense of all-knowing and all-presence. Brahman is omniscient, consciousness, every Brahman. And Omnipresent. Sounds like a good thing to attain because we're not everywhere, hardly anywhere. (laughs) We're nowhere. And we don't know very much. So to attain all-knowing and all-presence. But for the Godhead, it's a problem because if you know everything and you're already everywhere, there's nowhere to go and there's really nothing to do because you already know what's going to happen. So omniscience, omnipresence are a problem for the Godhead. So what do you do? And the problem is boredom. What do you do when you're bored? Then you play. You create something. You make a play. That is called Leela. Hmm? This kirtan comes to the realm of Leela, where the God is moving, and the force that's causing the movement is not karma, hmm? but bhakti. Hmm? Bhakti. If you look in Hinduism at the theological kind of spectrum, you find different forms of the Godhead. Hmm? When you get to Krishna, you find the Godhead that is most moving. Hmm? Moving constantly. Like Vishnu, he is sleeping most of the time. Hmm? Uh, he has a dream, there's the world. He said, well, better. That was a nightmare. He breathes back in, mostly sleeping. Hmm? He's in relation to the world. Boring, for sure. Hmm? 
people who are not things looking for things. That's a confused place. Hmm? Why did I create that, you think? Try again, something like Inhale, exhale. On the other end of the spectrum, hmm, you find Krishna. Only never sleeping. At night, in the leela, those who have parental love put him to bed, but he slips out the window to meet with Radha. Hmm? She's keeping him up all night. Hmm? She is Bhakti, Bhakti Devi. Hmm? So this kirtan idea, hmm, as I said, is the principal limb of the body of Bhakti. And Sri Chaitanya, our patron, if you will, is thought to be a, a, a combined incarnation avatar of Krishna and Radha combined. Krishna pursuing the feeling of Radha for himself. Hmm? Krishna, God, in existential crisis. Can you imagine? We have an existential crisis. Is there a God? Do I exist? Hmm? Here, in our tradition, God is experiencing in the form of Krishna an existential crisis. He thinks, everybody says I'm God, at least everybody in India. Hmm? Some Americans now too. So, so, they say, they say I'm God. Hmm? Yogis meditate on me and so on and so forth. They say I'm the supreme object of, of beauty and so on. And I'm the heart of, the, of all the divinities of India. There's the Buddha, the wisdom, and the cross-culture. There's Jesus, the sacrificer, and so forth. And I'm the romantic heart of the absolute. It's heartbeat. Hmm? And the secret is, however, who can I tell, he says. Hmm? My heart beats for Radha. Hmm? Am I God or is, is she God? Everybody thinks I'm God. My guru used to say, everyone is worshiping God, thinking that God is the most worshipable object. But in our tradition, we're worshiping the worshipable object of God. Hmm? That is bhakti. Hmm? That is personified as Radha. Hmm? So Krishna is wondering, what is it in her that makes me so attractive to her, to bhakti? Hmm? He realizes, oh, it's okay. It's something in me that's making her the way she is. So I am God. It's all of me. It's something, but but it's something in me that can only be experienced from her vantage point, from the vantage point of a bhakta, of a devotee. So Krishna descends as Sri Chaitanya to celebrate bhakti. And the fact that the bhakta, the devotee, has greater uh, uh, position, if you will, is in, in, in relation to, to ecstatic uh, possibilities, exceeds that of the Godhead itself. Hmm? So, therefore, we say Jai Radhe hmm? and Jai Krishna <laughs> also. So, Sri Chaitanya, as I said, he is a, was a form of ecstasy, as we heard in a little piece I, 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 I read. Hmm? There's no one person in religious history the world over who more embodies ecstatic love simply by vibrating the syllables Krishna, Hare Krishna, for example, Govinda. Hmm? He would fall in a trance repeatedly, hmm? weep in such a way that, that to, to bathe others around him like a syringe, tears would pour from his eyes hmm? regularly. Just hearing the name of Krishna 
And he taught by his example a whole culture of this kirtan, of the names of God. Hmm? Underlying, again, he empowered uh, followers to to write volumes of literature to uh, explain in much greater detail uh, the, the philosophy than I am today. In a few moments, the philosophy that underlies this kirtan. So it's a very um, well thought out practice hmm, that transcends the limits of reason, affords us access into the uh, arguably the, uh, the happiest kind of life that you could possibly imagine. A life of love in intimacy with the Godhead. Hmm? So, we're not crazy sitting here and <laughs> banging on these instruments and so forth and chanting some unintelligible sounds to, uh, as it appears to some, some people. The yoga community is, is pretty wide in the world today, but the philosophical community thinks they're a little lightheaded hmm? uh, for the most part. So it's good to sometimes discuss a little bit the, the philosophy that underlies these, these beautiful practices of hearing, chanting, <clears throat> and good to be acquainted with that. They will only facilitate our embracing these trans-rational practices like kirtan that much more and deriving that much more from them. So with that, we'll begin some chanting. We'll chant a little bit, then I'll talk a little bit about the different chants. I think you have some some papers with the chanting on it. Unfortunately, um, the order in which we'll chant is not the order that you'll find on the sheets. So, you want to tell us what uh, we'll chant first? First, we'll chant um, uh, in honor of Sri Chaitanya. So, there's a... What number would that be on the sheet? No No numbers. Okay, well, we're beyond counting. That's good. Hmm. So, uh, that one, yes. Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nityananda, Sya Dvaita Garadhar, Sivasadi Gaur, Bhakta Brinda. We'll chant this a couple times, few times, and then we'll follow that by the Mahamantra, Hare Krishna. Then we'll talk a little bit about it.
So Hare Krishna's uh, famous mantra, it's called Maha Mantra. Hmm? Maha means great, of course. Man means mind, and Tra means to, to free. So it has great power and efficacy to free us from the world of our minds, limited and small as it is, uh, the world of the mind where there's happies and sads, goods and bads, hots and colds, which are relative to you, maybe the opposite to me, put us at odds with one another. You may think it's hot, I may think it's cold, and so to come out of the mind, we find it's neither of the two or both at the same time. Hmm? And the Maha Mantra, uh, there's a good reason for this, that uh, it's uh, um, referred to as such. Um, one reason is that it's a Nam Mantra, it means a name. Nam means name. So a Nam Mantra. Um, and it's in the vocative case, all of the names, Hare, Krishna, and Rama, are all in the vocative case. And um, typically, those mantras that are not consisting, they don't consist entirely of names only, divine names, um, have a certain formula to them and something to be derived specifically from from chanting them. <clears throat> and... Um, um, the... The divinities that are petitioned, their names are in the dative case. So unto, let's say, Krishna, unto Shiva, I offer myself and I may expect this or that in, in, in return. So the Nam mantra is, is, is different in this sense that the dative, the mantras in a, with the names of the divinities in the dative case, for example, they have certain uh, times that they should be chanted in times that they shouldn't. There are certain uh, uh, rules, if you will, or per, that, that uh, govern the uh, chanting of them in order that they might be most efficacious. Now, this is not the case with the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. All the names are in the, in the vocative case, and they can be chanted anywhere, anytime, at any place, so that's um, makes it a little more uh, generous, hmm? if you will. Hmm? And uh, what's in a name? Hmm? So they say, "Well, did you get his name?" Well, if your your kids answered the phone, they said, "Somebody called." <laughs> did you get his name? But by his name, you can follow him or her. Nowadays, of course, the identity is identity theft is a big thing. So you have a number that how it's so bad it's gotten. We are now all numbers. So if you get your social security number, then they can take your whole bank account, right? So there's great power, even materially speaking, in a name. Hmm? You can own a person, if you will, take over their their life, their identity, hmm? if you know their name. It's possible. So, this is possible with regard to, to the Absolute, with, in, in this case with Krishna. Hmm? Krishna name is there. Hmm? And, of course, he's very inviting in that regard. This is the th nice thing about Krishna. Hmm? You see, Krishna is depicted beautifully in Leela, 
in art, in music, in drama. You see him with cows and milkmaidens and friends in a pastoral setting and so forth. It's meant to depict the Godhead kind of being being himself, so to speak, because being God, as I said earlier, it can be a little problematic. Just like people strive to become famous and then they just wish they had some sunglasses so they could go out and be a, be a normal person. It's better to just be a normal person hmm? um, and not to be set, set aside from everyone hmm? and up on a seat like this. See, your position is better. Hmm? Well, we're sharing. So, so the idea here theologically is that Krishna represents the Godhead who's like doesn't want to be up on a on a throne. Hmm? He wants to be close to people. Hmm? But unfortunately, his experience is not too many people want to be close to me. They want things, and as I said earlier, they're not a thing, so they really distance themselves from me. They ask me to give them things, and I'm thinking, okay. That's not something I'm interested in, and, and you shouldn't be either necessarily, but okay. Hmm? So the pursuit of things, again, is the realm of karma. This distances us from ourself, what to speak of, of God. Hmm? Other people don't want things, the knowledgeable people. They want to be, right? And so they want eternality. So that's cool. So you can have eternality. Uh, that's something that Krishna feels that that can be given too, but it's really like, what about me? You want eternality. One person wants the world, this is the karmic realm, to acquire, and think by acquiring I become more, and actually we become less. We go into negative numbers. We owe more. Hmm? Other person sees the folly in this rather than the vacuous sense of being derived from having when we don't really have anything, so we don't really be or can't be for very long hmm? in that sense of identity. Rather than that, to have an enduring identity, to live, to be eternal. Hmm? So one wants the world, one wants to get away from the world. The world is the focus in both cases. And the God that is thinking, well, okay. <laughs> There's the world of matter. Some people want it, some people want to get away from it. Hmm? Then there's another class of people. They worship God. Hmm? They, they do bhakti. But they do bhakti in a particular way. They do bhakti in which they think, I should do bhakti because God should be served. Hmm? There's some calculation involved, dutifully. And then there's God, let's say, on the altar in one form or another. This is the more typical kind of expression of uh, religion and spirituality that's theistic. God's on the throne, and then there's, there's me, the worshiper, and then there's this distance that's bridged by the worship. Hmm? You ever seen those, you ever go into a temple, like a Hindu temple, and you see the gods there, and then they offer, the, they're like waving lights at them, and, you know, and incense and flowers and things, and he just stands there. Hmm? He's thinking, okay. Hmm? You offer me things, that's good. Hmm? Because I'm God. Hmm? This is, in the Greek, the idea is agape. So it's, it's a, a very different kind of love. 
right? Then, hey, pal, you know, you want to go for a walk and talk in friendly love? Hmm? Or the love between parents and children, the love between lovers? Love of God is, that's, in a different, that's a different thing. Oh, hmm? Hmm? So this kind of, this is a kind of bhakti, but this is not the kind of bhakti that the Hare Krishna mantra lends itself to. Hmm? The Hare Krishna mantra is about knowing, about knowing, becoming acquainted with, becoming interested in what God is interested in. What, and this is off the throne. As I said, he wants to be off the throne. He's alone. <laughs> yes, we are small. We are a spark. God is the fire. But the idea of Krishna is the finite, the infinite becoming finite-like in order to have intimacy with us finites. That's a play, you see. That's, it's not true. It's not true. But to play that, and, and, he, and he plays hard, Really good he plays. Krishna is God forgetting that he's God. Because of the burden it creates in terms of loving. I mean, obviously, we worship God, we love God on the altar, but like, if we get a call during the Mass or something, you know, that your child is sick, you're going to just, for parental love, you'll leave the godly love in a minute. Right? Or for romantic love. So can there be romantic love for God? Can there be friendly love for God? Parental love for God? It means love and intimacy. Hmm? Where God is off the throne. Hmm? And feels like one of us, and we feel he's one of us. So these leelas of Krishna, they depict this realm. Hmm? And interest in this is very, very powerful. A little bit of interest. This we call ragbhakti. It means like natural, spontaneous, not calculated. Hmm? To be interested in this is the driving, a very powerful driving force of sadhana, of, of practice in our tradition. Why? It's very simple. Just to be interested in that. As I said, other people want things, people want eternity, they want to go live on the same planet with God or something, in, in some, some uh, majestic realm. Hmm? Meanwhile, God's trying to get away from his godhood to some extent, hmm? that he might have intimacy with, 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 with everything, with, the, with, the, with everyone, hmm? but in whom he's interested in it. So if you become a little interested in this, hmm? how much interest Krishna, how much interest Krishna has for you? Oh, you're interested in what I'm about. Hmm? That's very different. Most people want things from me. Want, want freedom from things. Hmm. They want to know me in some distant way. But to know me with, you know, with my sunglasses on is a crude example. But to, to, uh, uh, personally, intimately, who's even interested? A little interest who draws attention. This is what this mantra does. Hmm. It comes from there. It's mentioned in the Shruti, in the Upanishads. These are the sounds 
Upanishad. Upanishad means to sit close. The implication is, if you sit close, I can tell you, whisper something in your ear that the general people have no ear for. Hmm? This mantra comes from that side. These are thought to be unauthored sounds. The shruti. Shruti means heard. They're unauthored sounds that are heard by some people. Rishis, sages, in meditation, they can hear certain sounds. Just like dogs can hear certain sounds that we can't. A little bit different. They have a different methodology. And they're hearing sounds, unauthored sounds. Just like in math, uh, a good number of mathematicians, even today, even from early times, Euclid, Pythagoras, and up to even today, like Roger Penrose is a celebrated mathematician, they believe, they are of the conviction that mathematical equations are discovered. They so precisely describe the physical world, like they describe quarks and gluons, that you can't see or anywhere, but the equations say that they're there and you do the, do the work and the pragmatic and you get a certain result. Hmm? So they, say, they think, they feel that these, there are equations that so accurately describe the world that they, they are actually discovered by humans rather than invented by humans to describe the world. And Penrose believes, for example, along these lines, that there, there's a realm a non-physical realm in which these mathematical uh, equations exist. In other words, there's a realm where there's a logic, a transcendent, non-physical, a logic that transcends the, the limits of the physical world. Hmm? Transcendental reasoning. Hmm? And, it, 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 and, and that underlies it, the ground of it hmm? is such. And out of it arises ultimate beauty, ultimate, ultimate aesthetic, ultimate ethics. The, the absolute good and the absolute beauty. Hmm? This is a... What he's describing without thinking about it is what something of what we're talking about. We're talking about in relation to sound. So in the, in the sacred texts of the Hindus, they feel that the world comes out of sound Sound formulas. Sound, let's take language for example. What does language do? By language, we classify things. We categorize things. We arrange the world. Hmm? So the Brahma, four-headed Brahma, you may have seen it, one of the Hindu gods, the creating, creative aspect of nature. Hmm? It's thought to, by sound, by mantra, categorize the world. Hmm? and give it shape and so forth. And as there are sounds, unauthored sounds, that the world arises out of, there are sounds by which we can rise out of the world. Beyond It means beyond the confines of time and space. And find out that, we, that we're from that soil. We have no beginning. We have no end. And we have a capacity to love. And there are sounds that then... Perm- that, that speak to us about that. So these are the sounds of the Upanishad. We should sit near and hear them. Hmm? But the peculiar thing about this Hare Krishna Mahamantra is that it's, it's one of these sounds. It's mentioned in the... What is it? That name? Yeah, which one? 
Kalisam Tarana Upanishad, some old friends of mine here. Kalisam Tarana Upanishad, one of the many Upanishads. Hmm? There it said that itiso dasakam nam na kalikal mahashanashanam sarva vedeshu drishite Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. There Narada, the mystic Narada, asks Brahma that in the, the quality of time called Kali, which means hypocrisy, argument, kind of like we have today, with everything, everyone's arguing over the smallest little, what did he say? And then they have the gotcha thing, you know, and then somebody said, and they get them, and <laughs> that's just so pathetic. Um, this time of quarrel and hypocrisy, there's a certain, in this quality of time, what will be the most efficient uh, means by which one can become can, can gain deliverance from from all of this, and Brahma replies, "Oh, that is for the Kali time, Kali Yuga, Kali Yuga, not Kali, Kali, hmm? Kali Yuga. Kali means quarrel. Kali Yuga, Yuga means like a millennia or a time. There's a quality of time called Kali. It's thought to be now, hmm? and in this time, he said, these sixteen names." There are three names, but they're repeated such, 16. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Iti Sodasakam. Sodasakam means 16. Nam, Nam, Kali Kalmashanashanam. All the effects of Kali will be nashanam, destroyed. And Sarvabede Chudushite. All the Upanishads are saying this, he says. All they're, they're all pointing to this. There's a nice verse. Hmm? of one of our saints in our tradition, song whose we're going to sing next. His name is Rupa Goswami. He said about this that in his poem, Namastakam, eight poems in glorification of the name of Krishna. Uh, this Sanskrit, I'm, just, I'm getting a little older, so I can't remember it. But he says, Nikila Shuti, thank you, uh, Nikila Shuti, Apiratnamulam. Hmm? The sounds of the Shruti. Tattvamasi. Aham Brahmasmi. Neti, neti. Are like jewels. These are secret sounds. They're like jewels that have light. Hmm? But if he said, studied carefully, we see these sounds of the Upanishad, they're all shedding light on one sound of two syllables. Krishna. Krishna, by which the whole thing can be unraveled on the one hand, and you can then become entangled on the other side in a love affair with the Absolute. Hmm? Very charming idea. Hmm? You see, in the school of knowledge, we make advancement by giving things up, detachment. In the school of bhakti, we advance by attaching ourselves to other bhaktas, other devotees. Hmm? Love is about attachment. You just have to find the right, the most, what's lovable. Hmm? Be wise about it. To love something that's here today and go on tomorrow, that's not a good idea. Hmm? But Bhagwan, Godhead, that's another thing. Hmm? So to become attached. Hmm? Hmm. So this mantra, Mahamantra, it comes from there, from the Upanishads. It, it represent, it, 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 it's it's it, it it's kind of genesis in the world, if you say, if, in this world, is from there. 
So it has great power. There's reason it's called the Maha Mantra. Not a sectarian, you know, we just chose it or something like that. But hmm? And it's made up of these three names, Hare, Krishna, and Rama. These are all in the vocative case. So the vocative case means like calling out without any, I want this, I want that, just Krishna. Hare, Ram. Ram means also Krishna. It means Rameti, Ramana. Hmm? It speaks ultimately of, of the romantic life of Krishna, his whole lila, that pastoral lila where he has friends and parents and cows. We'll get to them also. What are those cows? And, and Radha. Hmm? Hmm. The central affair of this drama, this play of Krishna, is the love of Radha. And there are subordinate roles also. In order for that love to go on, then there need to be other types of love, like friendly love, parental love for Krishna. Hmm? They, they play secondary, subordinate roles, giving support, supportive roles to the main drama. So this mantra speaks ultimately of the main stage, if you will, the main drama, the possibility of entering into it, following in the wake of, of what Radha personifies. Hmm? Loving Krishna as close to you could in the way that Radha does without competing with her or becoming her. Hmm? That's, a, that's a big theological subject. But Hare, Krishna, and Rama. So Rama means, speaks about Krishna in, in a kind of a romantic mood. Krishna means, means irresistible is what it means. Krishna, many things, but this is all attractive. Hmm? Uh, Krishna and Hare. Hmm? Hare means is the vocative of the of Hari. Hari means to take away, to steal. Hmm? There was two policemen in India. They had a conversation. One said to the other, "It's really unfortunate that our God Krishna is a thief, because in his leela he's stealing butter and yogurt, and he's very mischievous. This Krishna." And so the other one said, "No, it's a good thing that our God is a thief. Why is that? Because." Thieves don't care for high walls and locked doors, and in the form of his name, Krishna goes into our hearts, which are locked up. And we're not just letting anyone in. He goes anyway, hmm? without even trying. The ears, are, you know, you can't, it's hard to close them. They just open all the time. Sound goes in, goes through the heart, and, and starts to bring about a change. Hmm? In the form of Krishna Nam, or this Mahamantra, he goes into the heart. Now, what's going on in the heart? Well, in the heart, all these mega-corporations have set up shop there. Hmm? <laughs> Multi-corporations. Big lights. Buy me. Get me. Get this, and you can be that. Hmm? And so the fact that we, we be, we are, which is huge, is lost in the prospect of being this or that, which is such a small thing. Understand? You could be this, you could be that. It's better just to be. Because this or that is all in relation to things that, that don't be for very long. Hmm? Countries come and go. The sun will burn out. <coughs> then what? Hmm? So all these, when we have so many desires in the heart, hmm, attracting us, you could be this, you could go here, you could do this. This is what you are. Hmm? Krishna goes in in the form of his name, and what does he do? He sets up a shop there. I mean, what is he selling? 
brooms. Brooms? I mean, come on. Okay, I'll take a broom. Poor guy. Hmm? A broom guy has set up a shop. I'll take a broom, but it's a magic broom. So with the broom means the chanting. The first stage of this chanting, it has a cleansing effect. It sweeps the dust hmm, in the heart. And this dust goes up and it clouds all these neon signs. Hmm? Hmm? Makes them look dirty. Hmm? What I thought was beautiful and important and really meaningful, oh, it's shallow. Hmm? And meanwhile, what I am starts to be uncovered. Just a, the jewel of myself, the light from this. It out, just a little glimpse of it. It outshines all these mega corporations, all of the desires. Just to glimpse it from the chanting, a glimpse of what I am as a unit of Satchitananda makes the whole world go dark in comparison. And what kind of light this is. And because the light is coming in the context of chanting the mantra, which is bhakti, not only do we start to experience the Ananda of the Atma, Atmananda, but Bhakti Ananda. There's a difference. There's Ananda in the heart or, or in, the, in the self. Hmm? But alone, how much can we love? Alone, through knowledge and meditation, we can sit and be and love being. Hmm? But to love another, might expand our capacity for experiencing all that love is about. Hmm? This is possible with bhakti. So not only does the self start to come out, but in relation to bhakti. Bhakti is a certain power of God. Bhakti is not just something we do with devotion, like, okay, let's do something devoted today, let's um, help the poor. That's actually not bhakti. That's karma. It might be good karma, hmm? but it's not bhakti. Hmm? If we do it, good acts with detachment, that means we factor knowledge into our actions. And gradually, as I said earlier, we'll come to be still. But bhakti is a move, movement in relation to the absolute. The power of bhakti can dispel the illusion of maya. And what else can it do? I mean, how efficacious it should be when bhakti is overwhelming Brahman. As I said, Brahman is everywhere. If you're everywhere, how can you move? You're already there. But Krishna is moving. That is the power of bhakti. Hmm? To, to, <laughs> it's a far out idea, actually. Hmm? Uh-huh. The god is moving in Leela in play, and you can enter into that. So he's selling a magic broom there. Hmm? This is the beginning. Cheto Dharpana Marjanam. First, the heart is cleansed. You see, bhakti is a shakti of God. It's not something we do as much as it does us. In the beginning, it feels like we're doing bhakti. That's called bhakti in practice, sadhana bhakti. With our senses, our tongue, for example, we chant. With our ear, we hear. Hmm? We think, I'm doing bhakti. But actually, the whole opportunity to, to, for bhakti came from up to down. Hmm? And as we do bhakti, so to speak, with our senses, or we, we allow bhakti to take over our senses, we use our senses only for the satisfaction of the senses of God, for example, hmm? then 
the emotive aspect of bhakti starts to take place. The ecstatic aspect starts to develop. So from bhakti in practice to bhakti in ecstasy, then you really know bhakti's doing me. We have an emotional life right now in relation to matter. It matters more than matter to us. But it's also problematic because it's in relation to matter. Therefore, our emotions are in relation to something that's here today and gone tomorrow. But again, when we, when we give ourselves to the chanting on the other side, we've now focused on something that is of a different nature. We can have emotion in relation to the absolute. This is, means it, it, it shows itself in, in, in the body, in the mind of the devotee in ecstasy, weeping, hairs standing on end, trembling, fainting, you sure you want to keep chanting? <laughs> these, th- these things will come, but you have to pass through a certain stage of cleansing. Hmm? You know, those corporations, the lights have to go out. You have to see, I'm more beautiful. What is my prospect in relation to bhakti? So this is the parakanam. Not only tarakanam, but parakanam. It has the power, Hare Krishna mantra, to overwhelm Krishna. Bhakti can dispel maya easily. Why? Because... It has the power to overwhelm Krishna, to make God into a plaything. Hmm? So what to speak of dispelling illusion? <clears throat> Something like that. Bhakti is like the heat and light of a fire. If God is the fire, bhakti is the heat and light. We are the spark, and maya is the smoke. Hmm? Spark can get lost in the smoke and obscured. Hmm? Working under the fire, the heat and the light. What does it mean, heat and light? It means samvit, ladini. It means, light means luminosity, knowing. In bhakti, there's a kind of knowing oneself in relation to Krishna. And there's a kind of ladini, ananda, ecstasy. So light, heat and light means knowing and, and feeling. The heat and light of bhakti can take us into the fire. And this Hare Krishna mantra is very much suited for this. Hmm? Now, the secret thing here about this Maha Mantra is, as I said, each is the name of Krishna. Hari means he who takes away, and Hare is the vocative of Hari. So, he who takes away, I mean, he, he, he steals everything. He, he will ruin your life. Uh, it said, if you, want to, if you want to enjoy material life, don't go to the, don't chant this mantra. It said, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I have a younger brother. And um, some years ago, I, well, I was a lost child, uh, missing, missing in action from the family for a long time, living in India and so many places. Anyway, my younger brother one year sought out to find me. He's 10 years younger. This is some time ago. So he met some devotees at an ashram who, who knew me and said, oh, we know him, yeah. And so they began to speak to him about what it was I was involved in. And then he said, he said, what do you think? And they said, he said, it was as if I had painted my life in color, watercolors and you have thrown water on the painting. <laughs> it's all dissolving. What you're talking about is so much more meaningful. That this just looks, what I had in mind was such a small thing. Hmm? Hmm. So we, Hari took away his, his interests, which were, were, were small in comparison. Small-minded. Hari. But... Hari, or Hare, here in the mantra, is also the vocative of Hara, which makes it also a name for Radha. Hmm? 
So in the Mahamantra, there is Krishna and Krishna the lover, Ramana, and the lover of Hare, means Radha. So with that, we sing now a song about Radha. This is called a, a Guna Kirtan. We did Nam Kirtan, Kirtan of the name. This is a Guna Kirtan. It means, the Guna means qualities. We have to speak about that. The qualities of Radha, some of them. So, it's somewhere on that paper. Not to have it Radhe, 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 
And this is a, a uh, this is part of a longer uh, song, actually. Uh, it's a Sanskrit, written in Sanskrit by Shirubha Goswami, one of our uh, sadhus. He wrote a tome, really a, a very definitive book, long book, called Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. It's the ocean, immortal ocean of the uh, nectar of Bhakti Rasa, hmm. Bhakti and ecstasy and and brain. Very interesting book, definitive book on the nature of bhakti, and um, and this is a song about Bhakti Devi, so the goddess of, of bhakti, who has captured Krishna's heart. So it describes uh, her in the context of the lila, the divine play of Krishna, and um, 
And I've chosen tonight to, to sing as we did the first line, which is kind of the chorus, and then in the last line of the poem, some of the descriptions in between, we've excluded. Um, they're rather lengthy, but I think we get to the heart of it by uh, discussing a little bit uh, the lines that we did, we did chant. So, Radhe Jai Jai Madhava Daite, Madhava Daite. Madhava is a name for Krishna, and it means a number of things. It means spring, for one. Hmm? So spring is the season of love. Everything is blooming, and there are new possibilities, new becomings. You see, sometimes it's thought that rather than being focused on becoming, we should focus on being. And I think that's true in relation to material life. Because trying to become something, as we've already described, is to be much less than what we be, or what we are. So, better to be than to become. But, now we've already discussed that bhakti is like otherworldly. So everything gets turned around. And in bhakti, there is being and there is becoming. Because, well, we know from our own limited material experience of love, which is a shadow of, of, of divine love, that love is always, when it's working, it's becoming. It's an, it's an adventure. It's always um, there's something new. In our love, we see her or him in a different light as time goes on. I mean, obviously, the material example <laughs> breaks down. But if the object of our love is perfect, hmm, then the idea is that the more the love, the more that the absolute is about is is explored and experienced so as much as love is a, is 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 being but being in the context of becoming so prem bhakti love divine love is said to be full and always expanding so the spring Remind us something of that because it's a season of becoming new possibilities. Hmm? It's said that uh, in in the realm of Leela, the word impossible is not found in the lexicon there. Hmm? Uh, Webster's idea is very limited. Hmm? He has a word called impossible. Hmm? All possibilities. We can ex- we can appreciate this to some extent in a very simple way that. Our physical possibilities are very limited compared to our mental possibilities. You ever make money in your mind? It's very easy to have a business and you just made you know lots of money, <laughs> but to do it physically to play that is often quite difficult. Hmm? So there are pos- and you can say, well, it's just in your mind. Well, as I said, it's uh, uh, because we mind matter. Matter has meaning, right? So it's not just in the mind. So there are possibilities in the mind. Our whole emotional life is, is in the mind. The mental emotional life, as we call it. So That's more real than the physical. That's where we live. That's where we make judgments and values and so forth and so on. So, at the same time, the physical world and the mental world are thought to be two aspects of matter, of a gross and a subtle matter. A physical and a psychic matter. The psychic matter is 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 such 
that it has the capacity to reflect consciousness itself. Hmm? Consciousness reflects on matter in that sense, and in the other sense of the word reflect, subtle matter reflects it. Hmm? So there's something called a citta, you know, yoga. Citta vritti nirodha is thought to be the idea of the sutras of yoga, the citta and the vrittis. Hmm? There's a, there's a subtle composite of mind, manas, buddhi, ahankar, and chitta. So chitta is that kind of like subtle organ in the yogic psychology hmm, by which we perceive. So it's similar to consciousness, but what it is, it's a reflecting actual consciousness proper. Hmm? And then it's reflecting on matter. And it, because it reflects on matter, certain images come within the chitta. And then the images then guide our lives and cause us to act habitually in ways that often are contradictory to our own intelligence. Hmm? You ever do something that you knew wasn't in your interest? Maybe once. <laughs> so this is our pathetic you know, condition. <laughs> uh, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the reason is because by habit, hmm, having reflected on matter, images come and we become attached to them and so we are kind of driven, forced to act. Um, so, beyond the citta then, is consciousness itself, and we are a unit of that. And so if the possibilities of the subtle world of subtle matter, mind, so exceed the possibilities of the physical world, as I was ex- saying, you can make a lot of money in your mind, but not in the, maybe in the physical world. Hmm? So then, in the world of consciousness proper, then what kind of possibilities lie there? Hmm? The possibility for, for, for expressing love, if you're a unit of loving capacity, as a unit of ananda, hmm? then if you can meet a significant other that is consciousness constituted, rather than matter, constituted of matter, and disappearing, before your eyes, then the capacity for loving is 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 um, extraordinary. Krishna means this is this is idea. This is the object. That's why Krishna. Just for a moment, I mean, he's the, the pictures of Krishna. It's depicting the absolute in a particular way. You see the color of the complexion of Krishna. This is called sham. In Indian aesthetics, and every emotion has a color, just like in our life. You know, have, you have different colors. There are warm colors, but there are hot colors. There are cold colors. A uh, few options there. Um, so in Indian aesthetics, every emotion is, is attached to a particular color. And the color of Krishna's complexion is sham. In Indian aesthetics, it's the color of romantic love. Hmm? Krishna is depicted, the Godhead is depicted in adolescence, eternal adolescence. Hmm? That is the time for falling in love. Mm-hmm. When every, the first time. And, of course, in relation to Krishna, it's... What was that song? First time is the... Cut, cut is the deepest. Yeah, that's, right. that's what it means, right? That doesn't happen. <laughs> There's no cut. <laughs> There's never any cut <laughs> in relation to Krishna. Hmm? So, but anyway, he's depicted. Hmm? I mean, obviously, the, the absolute 
the Godhead is beyond language and thought and our ability to talk about accurately, adequately. There's a statement in the sutras of Vyas, the Brahma Sutras. What is that verse? What is that sutra? Um, um, anyway, it says that that about which speech cannot speech goes and returns mind goes and returns cannot capture it hmm? this is what we're after right? so some translate it to be that the absolute is such that we should be silent hmm? just like in the Jewish tradition I've heard I was raised as a Catholic but in the Jewish tradition I've heard that they, they have an idea that the name of God is so sacred that nobody can say it don't say it it's too sacred it'd be profane Somebody must know it. But anyway, all traditions, religious traditions, have some idea that there's a divine logos and so forth. Now, the idea of the Godhead, the absolute being beyond language, the capacity of language to capture or thought, may lead one to conclude that therefore we should stop thinking and stop talking. Hmm? Now, the other way of thinking about that verse that I can't remember, that I'm explaining to you, is, <laughs> is that the absolute is such that we cannot say enough about it. It's a little different twist, you follow? We cannot say enough about it, but not that we can say nothing. Hmm? There's so much to be said. Because there are two features of the absolute that are prominent in, 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 in the yoga community or in the sacred texts of the of the East, a non-differentiated absolute, an indeterminate absolute, and a determinate absolute, to use philosophical language. Indeterminate means no qualities, no difference. Brahman, we say. Not neti, neti. Not this, not that. It is, but it's not this or that. What can we, we can only describe it negatively. It's not this, it's not that. Consciousness ourself is not this or that. That doesn't make it any less. We can't define it because we define things by comparing it to other things and there's nothing that consciousness can be compared to in a world of things. So, we, so we, we, we can kind of be quiet about consciousness. We can say, it exists, it knows, it loves. But when we move in bhakti in relation to Bhagawan, from Brahman to Bhagawan, from loving to exist to existing to love. This is bhakti, existing to love. Then we come in touch with a, a variegated absolute, a, a determinate absolute with qualities. Why do, what are the qualities that we have now? We're a unit of consciousness, right? But we have qualities like light skin, dark skin, um, He's a happy guy. Um, he's a he's a loner, you know. She's um, real nice. Uh, we all have different qualities that, that that differentiate us from one another. Where are these qualities coming from? Hmm? What they are is consciousness itself, which we are, which has none of these qualities. It's not fat. But it's not thin. It's not young. It's not old. Right? It's not hot. It's not cold. Hmm. 
But when consciousness inv- is, it reposes itself in matter, matter is an environment. You see, we are of a nature, as a unit of consciousness, that lends itself to nurture. There are certain aspects of ourself that will come out and be expressed only in relation to an environment. Matter, we call it maya shakti. There's two aspects of it, maya shakti. Guna maya, jiva maya. Guna maya is like, what is matter made out of? And we can go on and on and speculate about it and think about it and poke it and try to figure it out. But the the Vedas say, don't worry about that. Hmm? It's constituted of certain influences that are not in your interest. And, And the other side of maya is not only guna maya, its qualities, but jiva maya, the power it has to bewilder, enamor. Hmm? Just like if you sit down and turn on your television, you could get wrapped up in it. Even though it's entirely dependent upon the viewer, the TV, the viewer could lose himself to the television. And someone would have to say, come on, you've got a life. Yeah. Hmm? So we have reflected on matter, and it's a big thing. Hmm? We've turned it on, and oh God, now it's overwhelmed us with prospects, hmm? carrots. Huh? You could be this, you could be that. Appetizers, the full meal never comes. result is indigestion. Hmm? That material life, hmm? troublesome. But the qualities that we have that differentiate us from one another are a result of ourselves being nurtured or mal-nurtured by the Mayak environment. Now, if we do away with the Mayak environment, then we're Satchitananda. But there are certain qualities in ourselves that came out in relation to Maya. They were the sense that I'm a doer, that I'm an agent of action, that I have qualitative experiences, that I'm an apprehender, I can grasp a thing. Hmm? If there's no environment, how can you do those things? How can you be a doer if there's no environment in which to interact with? How can you be an experiencer of qualitative things like happiness, sad, red, blue, if there's no environment to experience? So when we remove the mayak environment, hmm, then we just sit still and we be, we know that we be, and we love to be. Hmm? But now bhakti is another environment. Bhakti is another environment. The environment for the, that makes Leela go round, that makes Bhagawan, that makes the Godhead dance, makes the ground of being dance. Hmm? It's movement. Love is a movement. You know, we move in this world in pursuit of love, and when we find it, what do we do? Rest? No, it has a movement of its own, a circle of its own. Hmm? So, in, bhakti, in relation to bhakti, the atma starts having qualitative experiences in relation to the object of bhakti, Krishna. A personality in relation to the personality of the Godhead. Hmm? Form. Hmm? But it's constituted of something else, not maya shakti. Like, not, not like Maya Shakti is inert. Matter is inert. But Bhakti is alive. 
It's like Satchitananda on steroids. We're like a unit of Satchitananda. We, we can't make Krishna dance, but Bhakti can make Krishna. So if Bhakti comes into us, then through us, Krishna will dance also. Hmm? So the ingress of Bhakti is a nurture hmm? that, our, we have a, that, a, that, that our nature lends itself to. So just like we... Let's see, I'm using common psychological terms to explain the metaphysical fact. Hmm? That we have a, are of a nature that lends itself to nurture. Don't avoid being nurtured by bhakti and just be and love being. You can be to love, exist to love instead. Hmm? So there's a world, there's a realm, hmm? and it's depicted in a certain way as charming, Krishna's realm, simple, beauty of simplicity. His color is the color of romantic love. He doesn't wear, he decorates himself with different ornaments like clays and twigs and flowers and, and so on and so forth. Hmm? And he has a lover, Radha. Hmm? His name is Madhava. Radhe Jai Jai Madhava Daite. Daite means, oh, Radha, who is so dear to Madhava. Hmm? Madhava means the springtime. Madhava also means something else. Madhava means the husband of Lakshmi. You know Lakshmi? She's the consort of Narayan. Narayan is thought to be a majestic expression of the Godhead. Krishna is a sweet expression of the Godhead. So with wherever the, the Godhead Krishna expresses himself as Narayan, for example, Lakshmi is there. Wherever there is Krishna, Radha is there. So this is a duad. That's two. Hmm? Radha, Krishna, Pranai. Vigrite, Ladini, Shakti, Rasmad. Krishna, just like, just like any physical system has mass and energy. Now, when a physical system is, is, not, is not in motion, then the mass and energy are in balance. Hmm? But when they're in motion... The energy exceeds the mass. So, <laughs> so Krishna is like a mass of consciousness. Satchitananda, condensed, taking a shape, a shape of Satchitananda, the shape of being, the very form of knowing, the very form of loving. We could try to depict and talk about it in language and think about it in some way. And so the mystics have done so. We should not discount their accounts, even though their accounts of such are not adequate to do, to do justice to it, still they're empowered accounts because they've gone through their experience and tried to talk about it. They spoke the language of love and now they try to translate it into reason. Because we are supposed to be reasonable here in human life. And if you are truly reasonable, then you can love. You can have wise love. So the, these descriptions of the Leela... These are powerful. They don't do adequate. They don't adequately describe what is the experience, but they're not something to be dismissed as well. There's just some poetry. Uh -huh. They're coming from very extraordinary persons who are trying to talk about that, hmm? trying to give, give uh, reason about it, hmm? and and feel that they ha are compelled to share it, because the love in this realm is so powerful 
that worldly compassion is but a byproduct of it. Try to imagine. What is the best kind of love in this world? We could say compassion because it's universal. It's for everybody. It's a sh- it's, there's no selfishness to compassion, right? Are there any kind of love, there could be some selfishness. I, I love you because I need you. I want you. Hmm. But compassion is about, is about giving. But I'm saying here, compassion is but a partial manifestation of prem. Hmm? So who has prem has compassion. Therefore, out of compassion, kurunayaha paranakuyam. The sages in bhakti, they try to say something about that experience, to share it with us for no gain of their own. These are very empowered poems, if you will, songs, depictions in art and so forth of the lila, of a realm uh, of, uh, of freedom. Freedom, like like in the heart, like at home. At home you feel free. You don't, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to read what's on a label before you eat it. Hmm? Homeland of the heart. And for home-knowing, we need a home-going person. That'll be very helpful. What he or she says about home, well, it cannot fully describe it, contain it. It's compelling. We want to go there. Even we can't understand what's being said entirely. Something there. She's saying something. He's saying from some other place is coming. Hmm? And that feels friendly. It feels comfortable. feels inviting. Hmm? And profound at the same time. It feels loving and it feels wise. Loving in this world is always not always so wise. Hmm? We pick the wrong, make the wrong choices. Here, make the right choice. Be well-reasoned. Hmm? The leelas are describing like this. Here it says, Jai Radhe Jai Jai Madhava Daite. Madhava Daite. Madhava means also, as I said, the husband of Lakshmi. She's the goddess of fortune. She doesn't stay with anybody except Narayan. <laughs> so you get a little fortune for a little while in this world, but you can't stay that way forever. Hmm? You'll die and be poor in the next life. Hmm? So, the husband of the goddess of fortune hmm, means this Narayan who accepts the form of Krishna that accepts reverential love. Hmm? Now, it's said in the sacred texts that this Lakshmi, this is poetic and beautiful, though, Lakshmi, she saw Radha with Krishna and she thought, you know, my husband's not like that. <laughs> My husband is so formal and he's always busy, you know. He's got four arms. He's always attending to things and, and so forth. And Radha, she's like, you know, she's like got him under control, actually. Hmm? And so Lakshmi thought, I'd like to spend some time with Krishna. Hmm? But, now, but now, see, the thing is that Lakshmi is thought to be the most chaste lady in the world. Hmm? Most chaste lady. She's always with Narayan. Hmm? So if you have Narayan, then she'll come to you, but otherwise, maybe a shadow of her will come only. Hmm? So now suddenly, we have in the poetry, in the narratives, the Leela narratives, Lakshmi is, is in the land, of the pastoral land of Krishna, and she wants to experience Krishna like Radha. Hmm? So suddenly her, her chastity comes into question. 
of course, Krishna is Narayan, so it's not really, from, from a philosophical point of view, well, no, it's, not, it's not a problem. Hmm? But the problem was this, that she couldn't have romantic relationship with Krishna, like Radha. Hmm? She couldn't. Through, as Radha, she does, but as Lakshmi, she couldn't. Hmm? Because she is the embodiment of reverential love. Hmm? Radha is the embodiment of love and intimacy. And in the Leela of Krishna, Radha is Krishna's lover and they're not married. It's very racy. Hmm? <laughs> the idea behind this is it's trying to explain a pitch, a measure of love that, that is in which love is always exciting. Hmm? Might get caught and I'll do anything to, to meet with him, something like that. So she's depicted like this as, as being as if belonging to another. Lakshmi is depicted as only belonging to Narayan. Everyone knows it. Radha appears in the Leela. Maybe she belongs to somebody else. And she's stealing out with Krishna. Hmm? Of course, the fact is this, that Lakshmi wanted to experience Krishna, but Radha never wants to experience Narayan. Hmm? You see. So she is the most chaste. Hmm? She is the full embodiment of... Both are perfect, of course, but there are different types of transcendental love. There is a transcendental love and awe and reverence, and there is a love and intimacy. And Radha depicts love and intimacy for Krishna. So Madhava Daite, she is very dear to Krishna. Gokul Tarani Mandala Mohiti. In the mandala, in the circle of Gokul, the cowherd pastoral realm, hmm? There are many beautiful girls, and she, they are all expansions of herself. It means the embodiment of love is the embodiment of various different nuances and emotions. So she expands into many different female figures that embody particular emotional aspects of herself and surround Krishna in this way. It's a way of speaking about the full measure of bhakti, whereas Lakshmi is alone with Narayan. She has one mood. Hmm? So it's a very uh, esoteric uh, description, but all of this is confusing, especially if you've never heard it before. The other verses I didn't include are more confusing. But the last verse, last verse that we did sing helps us to, to at least reflect on it in a, in a thoughtful way. Hmm? It said, Sanaka Sanatana Barnita Chadite. Sanatana, you ever heard of Sanat Kumar? Hmm? Not Kumara. In the in the in Hindu texts, there are the four Kumaras. They're the sons of Brahma. They're naked, and they're only this tall. They're like chill, like like children. Hmm? They can go anywhere. They're sages. They can go anywhere, just like a naked child. If it comes in the house, it's no big deal. If you're having a party with your adults, and a three or four year old boy comes in naked, it's it's charming. He can go anywhere. Hmm? Now, if he was 15, that would be a problem. <laughs> so these sages, are, are they, they're depicted like this. It's naked. It means they can go anywhere. They have no bias. They're fully, they have no material attachments. Material attachment gives us bias, prejudice. Spiritual life should be free from that. Hmm? Right? But in bhakti, there's a bias. Some like Ram, some like Krishna, some like Narayan. This is a transcendental bias, a transcendental prejudice. 
You see how in bhakti all qualities, even those that we want to get away from materially by knowledge, they have their place in transcendence in relation to Bhagwan. Hmm? It's not about getting away from anything. Hmm. <laughs> it's about exploring the, the full potential of everything, all of which can be realized in relation to the, its sor- it, it, their, their source. Hmm? This idea of bhakti. So these sages, anyway, to wrap it up here, they're very wise. Hmm? They could go anywhere. Hmm? And it's said in this verse that these sages are singing about the qualities of Radha. Hmm? And they're singing like this. Karunam kurumai karunabodite. Radha is thought to be the compassionate nature of Krishna. As bhakti, hmm? compassion is, is within it, as a small part of it. So they think, oh Radha, be compassionate upon me, show me kindness. Karunam kuru, you are full of mercy. Point being here that these stories, these leelas, are being talked about by very, very, very sober persons, these sages. They're famous in the, in the Hindu text. And they have volumes of uh, um, verses coming from their mouths through the text of wisdom and sobriety and so on and so forth. It means that the ground of this leela that sounds like kind of fantastic... Uh, it's actually very wise and again there's a philosophical underpinning to this that if, as we become acquainted with it will facilitate our approach to it through such kirtan so kirtan that's what we're here for so we do what is the time probably too much time six time. so yes we do. Which one? Okay, I think we were running out of time, right? Leela Mai? Yeah? Hmm? What time do we start? Okay, we are out of time. So we'll chant one, one, one more song. You pick which one.